Hi everyone, welcome to today's show and welcome to the first interview for 2022. Happy New Year, everyone. Now I thought I'd kick off the new year in style with some grit, courage and inspiration and today's guest has plenty of all of that. Sonia Wick is a mum, she is an adventurer, most recently appearing in the world's toughest race with Bear Grylls on Amazon Prime. And she has spent a decade living and breathing Ironman triathlons. Okay, here's what I know now. It's pretty cool. What I know now is that I really only take action if something lights me up inside. Now, we're talking 18 of them to be precise, and that's the full, as she calls it, 140.6 kind. Uh, all of you triathletes out there will know what I'm talking about. She has done oodles of the halvesy ones, again, as she calls it, the 70.3s. And all of this because one of her coaches wrote a comment on her blog in 2010 saying he thought she could win her age group at Kona, the Ironman World Championships. I'm sure she absolutely loves that guy for that. Anyway, fast forward to 2014. After five years of trying, she achieved second in her age group at Kona, which is simply outstanding. Today's podcast is Sonia's story. It's full of ups and downs, triumphs and transitions, and obviously not just the triathlon kind. Inspiring is an understatement here. My key takeaway is this. Whatever goals you have set for 2022, you only fail if you stop trying. I love the idea of constantly flipping things, like the struggle is the gift. Okay, so dig in, get focused, be super clear on your why, and don't give up. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Sonia Wick. Hi everyone, Nick Bradley here and welcome to Scale Up. It used to be Scale Up Your Business, it's now Scale Up for reasons that I'll explain as we go forward. But I have an amazing guest on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you here, Sonia Wick. Thank you, Nick. I'm really stoked to be here and I'm I'm glad to be on. I'm really excited about the new direction awesome. of your podcast. So yeah, thanks for having me. And you just use the word stoked. You know what? It was funny because I, I live in the UK now, but I'm originally from Australia and we we say stoked all the time there. So like excited. It's great. And I actually thought it was just an Australian word, but it's not. I think we took it from you guys. I don't know where it came from, but I feel like I've been around the world a few times and I pick up little bits and pieces. So it might, I might have thiefed it from somewhere else. I'm not going to take any credit. Okay. Well, let's, let's have a, let's have a cool chat today. I, my my yeah. shows are really just unstructured conversations where we get to talk it. about cool stuff. Right. So cool. there's, yeah, I know a little bit about you, but you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to get to know you a lot more, but just for, just for a little bit of context, um, Ultra endurance athlete. Now, I sometimes say that I'm one of them, but not to your level. We can get into you that. You are. We'll uh, give it to done you. A few, done a few things. Um, Ironman triathlons. It, how is it? Eighteen of the full distance or something like that. What's what's the mm -hmm. number? Yeah, I've done eighteen, like full one hundred forty point six. You know, Ironman triathlons. A ton of half Ironmans, and then have started to move into adventure racing, which really puts Ironman to shame. Um, but yeah, 18 Ironmans. I really, I set a goal in 2010. The first time I went to Kona qualified for Kona, the world championships, I set a goal to win my age group at Kona. And that really took me on this amazing journey, um, that, that ended up in 18 Ironmans of like, I almost set the goal when I didn't even really know what it would remotely take to get it. And then the journey just led to this crazy Ironman life and, you know, five years and 18 Ironmans and a, and a whole bunch of craziness along the way. I was going to say, like, because looking through your say, resume, 
<laughs> of things that you've done. Um, and, and I definitely want to talk about um, the world's toughest race and some of that stuff as well. Cool. But what was the what was the inspiration to kind of get into um, endurance sport and endurance mm. events like you have? Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I I always grew up with this idea that I was an outdoorsy girl, yeah. you know, and I think it's interesting the mindset we have about ourselves when we're young. I grew up like camping and hiking, and I always really like identified as being outdoorsy. And in 2005, I had my daughter, Annie, who's now 15, about to be 16. And um, I just, it was about a year later, I had a really tough like time after she was born as a lot of new moms, first time yeah. mom, I was pretty young. And I just, it knocked me on my butt. And it was about almost a year after I had had her that I remember having this moment that I looked in the mirror in my little apartment and I just remember going, where did that girl go? <laughs> like oh, the girl that is looking back at me isn't who I think I am. Like I'm so far removed from my self-identity as, and I, I would hike with Annie and like I led hikes for new moms. So I was doing some stuff, but I just, I was gaining a lot of weight. It wasn't coming off. I wasn't very healthy. I wasn't sleeping. And I just remember I had this huge disconnect between who I saw in the mirror and who I thought I was. And that was this moment for me, like, whoa, if you don't really catch this and make some sort of change, I don't know what it is, but it's something, something is amiss in like my soul, then you're going to end up being somebody you really don't, don't want to be. And so that was really what set me on. I didn't know how to swim. Um, I didn't own a bike. I had run in high school and a little bit in college, but I was kind of a college running dropout. And I just went down to the garage and my husband at the time, he had a mountain bike down there and he's six foot four, I'm five foot six, okay. but I, <laughs> I put the seat all the way down and I used our REI dividend. We had like, yeah, yeah, I love, man, I love that. That, yeah, that's okay. always my favorite song in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we bought a lot of stuff like we were outdoorsy, but we weren't really actually outdoorsy. And so I used that dividend to buy one of those trailers that you could haul your kid in. Yeah. And I put Annie in it and I I did the, took the agency to figure out how to connect the thing to Troy's mountain bike. And I remember I got out, I got her in it and I got out and I got riding. And even though I hadn't ridden a bike since I had like one with streamers on it, I felt so free for the first time. And like just going to the park, riding with her in the little trailer felt like such an adventure. And that was what birthed it. It was like, I want to find that woman that I think I am. I have a kid, I'm a mom, a full-time mom. And so it was kind of trying to meld that with whatever tools and resources I could. And so that, and then I was biking and started to lose a little weight. And so I signed up for a 5k and I thought when well, biking, I'm running, I'm kind of like one sport away from doing a triathlon. So then I signed up for swim lessons because I didn't know how to swim. Was there anyone like, who at that time, like well, why triathlon though, versus like just riding a bike? I mean, like was, if you, <laughs> I just did like in my head thought, I know how to run and I'm riding a bike. Like, isn't there this sport that has like a third thing? And then it's really cool. I mean, it really, it's funny how things start. Sometimes there's not a lot of forethought. Things just kind of come in. I don't know, maybe divine. Maybe it was like, have you, a, have you read a book? There's a book um, by a guy called Michael Singer called, mm -hmm. um, 
Oh, what's it called? No, the, the surrender the, experiment. Yeah, he's got the untethered soul as well. But yeah, surrender experiment. Untethered where, soul is amazing, but the surrender experiment yeah, is like it's kind of a bit like that. You kind of think things yeah. just happen, right? Things just happen, and if you're in this energy of of embracing, I just feel like looking back. I was I had such an energy of wanting to get back to that adventurous side of myself, and yeah. so the world was sort of providing me with these moments of inspiration to keep me on my path. You decide the path and then things will come to you to help keep you on the path. Yeah, I believe so, that. I believe you have it, to have some form of, um, well, I, I believe having some form of vision is, is important, right? But in terms of how totally. you get there, right, yep. the vehicle can change. It does. And it, yeah, yeah it, you got to be kind of kind of loosey-goosey with it sometimes. Exactly. Cool. So I learned and to swim uh, slowly and painfully, and <laughs> it was always my weakness. And I always had to rededicate myself to it every winter, but I learned to swim. I did a triathlon. I fell in love. <laughs> with the sport. I, I remember finishing the first time and I just, I remember saying to myself, oh my gosh, I think I could be really good at this. It was well, just this just like, a quick time check here. So when, what was yeah. that year for your first triathlon? 2007. Okay. 2007 was my first triathlon. 2009 yeah. was my first Ironman. 2010, I qualified for Kona. I went to Kona in, had to qualify every year for Kona. Went in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 16 was my swan song. Um, that, so yeah, that's the correct. Just for everyone listening here, isn't there like a time, like nine hours something? I wish like, because that would be easier. Just if you had a thing you knew that would get you in for certain, that'd be great. But well, the way it works, time? 9.35. Yeah, it's pretty smoking. Even I'm that, proud of nine. Even that I'm is like, super. I mean, smoking. I want to delve. I don't like to sort of muck around the edges here. So I do want to kind of get into all the bits and pieces around this Good. as we go. But, but you know, um, but this journey, this this kind of direction. So obviously, that you gain momentum over time, right? So you mm -hmm. started off. Were, were you good in the beginning? So if you think about that first year, that 2007, say 2008, were you winning age groups and stuff at that point, or just participating mainly? I was doing shorter races, sprints, and Olympics, and I was yeah. definitely getting on the podium in my age group. Okay, cool. but it was I was getting on the podium in the funnest way possible because I was a I was a developing swimmer. That's what I like to say. I was okay. a developing swimmer. So I would start out in the back and then the bike was, is kind of all about your engine and I had a good engine. So I would kind of make up way. And then I run in high school. And so I get on the run and I get to just mow people down. And I think that really helped my trajectory in the sport because I was always like coming from behind. Every race was like, how far up can I make it? And so you just, I naturally kept dreaming, well, if I work on this or I work on that, I'll be able to make it farther up and farther up. Um, so yeah, no, the first, I had some success early on that gave me enough incentive to think, I think I might have a natural talent for this, but it did take me a while to understand that Ironman was my talent and not shorter distance racing, which was what I was pushed to do for a little while. And the inspiration to step up to Ironman and, yeah. and that, did that come from something else? Was it just when you're in the scene, you're kind of in that and you think, you know, I want to go to the, the top level of this or was there, was there someone that was guiding you at this time? Yeah, I had a coach at the time and he really did not want me to do Ironman. Um, he kind of yeah. felt Ironman was what you do when you're done with your speed. He wanted me to be fast. He really wanted me to turn professional in Olympic distance racing, which is draft legal, um, which I love. I love, I would do cycling races and criterions, but something about the longer distance, I always just noticed when we trained long, I was always so much better. Like everyone would start to fall apart and I just got yeah. stronger and stronger. So I just kind of started to feel inside a little light inside that the longer I went, the better I would do. And then when I, when I did my first half Ironman, 
I won it outright. It was a fringy, a small race, not an Ironman branded race, but I just thought, no, like this is the direction I needed to head. So it was one of those moments where I had to depart from my coach's vision of what he thought I was good at because it didn't align with what felt lit up inside of me. And I can be pretty, pretty stubborn when it comes to like my own internal light. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's good. Yeah. But that's, that's being relentless, right? You know, yep. <laughs> and being focused. I mean, I, I find um, similar to you because when I was doing hundred mile races, I remember one race in Vermont, um, which I did pretty well at actually, but I remember I was, there was about three, 400 runners and I was about 40th. In, at about the halfway stage. So not great, right? I ended up getting in the top 20, yeah. but I just literally, the last half, I just ran through everybody, like 20 places. Yep. And there was something about that. It was it was partly about mindset, right? Yeah. But it was partly just about being damn relentless. So, <laughs> so it's yeah, kind of, you know. I don't, there's something I always say, like I, I'm one of those people who surprises you on the race course all the time. Mm. <clears throat> and people, people have come to fear me. They know if, if you're with Sonia and there's 10 miles to go, you're in trouble. Like you're going to lose that race every time. I'm not sure what it is inside of me that is that way, but there's a focus that comes when I need, when I need it, that I tend to be able to rise above like what people see in training or what they think my abilities are. And I was always really thankful for that. I seem to just help for somehow perform better than people think I'm going. Have to. you ever explored as to why that's the case? I mean, what is, does it come from? Sometimes you might have an inspiration. So just to put some context, you can sort of see there. I'm point, if everyone listening, I'm pointing to my wall behind. Yeah, <laughs> there's a picture of a guy who's running, and that's a that's a marathon in um, 1984 in Adelaide, South Australia. And that's my grandfather. And he ran that marathon after having uh, double bypass heart surgery. He's the first Australian to run a marathon after heart surgery. And he does it in, I think it's four hours and six minutes. Well done. I know. It's crazy. But I was, I was 10 years of age oh, wow. in 1984. And, okay. um, and I remember being there. And he, he thought he was going to die. Everyone thought he was going to die. And um, he, he bought me this, this like massive TV as, like a, as, a, as a birthday present because it was around the time of my birthday. And he's like, well, I might not make this race. So I want to give you a nice present. But <laughs> the gift he gave me wasn't the TV. The gift he gave me was watching him finish the race. Yeah. Right. And when I was doing a lot of stuff, lots of marathons and all that sort of stuff, I, I used to run and I still do to some extent, I don't know there's many, but I used to run with his medal. I've actually got the medal that oh. he won. I love that because the grit that's needed, you know, this better than me, but the grit that you need at that really tough point in a race, yep. right. When everything's falling down, you need that inspiration. So I just wonder if there's any, yep. anyone in your life that, you know, you just, you reflect on that gate that gives you that purpose and meaning when it's really tough. You know, I think for a long time, and I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable here because there's probably some of your listeners that are needing to hear this. Sure. I think for a long time, where that came from in me wasn't a super healthy place. Yeah, like cool. it was more out of, um, I'm not going to say fear, but I'm going to say like running towards and hustling for acceptance and love yeah, from the people cool. I knew were depend. I, I thought of it as depending on me. They weren't depending on me, but they got gratification from my results. Things like my dad, my coach, men usually that I put in, in my life to kind of almost provide that toughness factor for me in the moment as wanting to please somebody else or really perform for somebody else. And honestly, when I think about it, a lot of those times where um, I had some really great races where I just ran girls down. And a lot of times, like my coach was on a bike and he was 
he was checking in on me every quarter mile, every half mile. And I was just performing, um, for somebody else, honestly. And, and I could really reach into the depths deep, deep, deep and pull something out of myself that I never seemed to be able to give myself. I could do it for somebody else. Um, and so that was, that's been mm. part of my journey, really recognizing that, um, that's been sort of like one of those costs of winning and, 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 you know, sometimes winning has its downsides. Um, you kind of have to come to terms with who you are as a person when you win and when you lose. Um, but that's definitely been part of my journey is unpacking that, that piece of, yeah, like, how can I do it? Well, if I'm really being honest, it was me reaching really deep, trying to perform. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a saying, if you like that, you know, from your deepest voids, you know, come, you yep. know, your deepest values. Right. And, right. and there's a piece here that sometimes you are trying to fill a void with a value, a value being something that you, you spend your time and you love doing as opposed to, you know, a word on a wall. Right. Yep. So, so I, I have the same thing in, in many cases, because for me, it's about proving to others, you know, what I can do because I didn't have a lot of that happening when I was younger. Right. Yeah. You know, I was overweight yep. as a kid and all those sort of things. So to be an athlete, yep. you know, is a, is a major part of my identity because right. I had to transform that from what I was in the beginning. So that's yep. a, a void that stays with me now, right? All the way yep. through. Yep, it does. Yep. It, it, it deserves a lot of love and tender care, that, that thing inside of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool, that's right? It's cool. So yeah, no, this is, this is awesome. And so just to sort of play, play through some of your successes, because I want to kind of get into, into the, the races as such as well. Um, and then obviously how you've moved that into other things. Um, so when you were competing on the stage at, at Kona, the world championships, mm -hmm. yeah. what was that like? I mean, you, cause yeah. you were there, what was it five or six times? Is that correct? Yeah. Six times total and five trying to win. Um, right. Okay. So the first time was just, Hey, I'm here. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even find the expo <laughs> the first year. Really? No, I found like the Ironman <laughs> up on the merchandise deck. tent but I missed completely the expo with like all the brands and yeah, oh, wow. totally missed it. Never found it. Had a fantastic debut because I just didn't have any previous traumas on the course, <laughs> right? Like it was just this fresh slate. I just got to go out there and get the most out of myself. I think I was 15th in my age group, which is a pretty great debut 15th in the world. Your first time at it. Um, but the best part about my first time was I just got done. And the minute I got done, all I wanted to do was do it again. So I had it, it lit that fire inside of me. And that was, again, when we're talking about coaches and how important they've been in my life after that race, my coach said, I think you can win your age group at this race. And just that one line, just that one person saying that one line, I was such a sponge. I wanted people to believe in me so badly that I took that and was like, that's going to be my life's purpose. Like I took his thing that he kind of thought I might be able to do. And I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work as hard as I can to try to win my age group at this race. So naive. <laughs> no, but, 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 you know, but that's back to vision, right? You know, as I said yeah. to you in the beginning, we don't know how we're going to achieve something, but we have the vision to do it. So the vision was I'm going to win this thing. Right. Yes. And I never would have said it for myself. Like, 
he, someone who I just revered so much as my coach, yeah. him saying that to me open, I was like, what? Okay. I'm, that's what we're going to do. That sounds amazing. Where do I sign up for that? So yeah, it did. And that, I mean, that was, f- that provided five years of motivation. I mean, strong motivation. And of course, every year, like I'd miss it. I'd get worse. I'd get better. Like I had this great journey. So second year I went back, trained, you know, super focused all year and I got 10th. Um, and the age group that was just older than me, I would have been third. And so that was like, what? Like if I was, you know, 18 months older, I would have been third. So that kept me like, you know, that doesn't count though, right? You can't, you you can't do it that way. I remember running with her next to her and her, her significant others yelling, you're good. You're on the podium. And I'm just wanting to cry, you know, cause I know I'm in 10th. Um, so that was a learning lesson, but I was in great shape the next year, the third year I was in the best shape of my life. I was so strong, but I had had a really tough year. Like it was one of the, the lesson I learned that year was, um, the destination is always a manifestation of the journey. Mm-hmm, and so yeah. you don't get good results with a crappy journey. Like you can't, fake it till you make it. You really have to reverse engineer this stuff and your results are always going to be karmically like what it was leading. And so I had a really tough time. I had a different coach at that point, a really tough time with him. It was just a struggle the whole time, but I was in the best shape of my life. I got off the bike in fifth and I'm a runner. So I was like, oh my gosh, crazy, horrible year I'm running. And I'm like, but I'm in fifth. I can see fourth. I'm on a Lee drive. Like we're doing it. And I'll tell you, this is like, this is just the best at mile eight I'm running and I'm like, oh my gosh, did I just do what I think I might've just done? I pooped my shorts. Oh no. Oh yeah. Like with no, even like no, even I just suddenly was like, oh my God, is what I think happening, happening like horrible. So what I had done was I had added a product to my water bottles in the bike that had an ingredient called sorbitol in it. And mm-hmm. I had trained with sorbitol, but I had never added sort of two tabs to every single bike water bottle. And sorbitol is a laxative. So I had mm-hmm. actually like massively dosed myself with a laxative at mile eight, everything came out. I was totally demoralized. I had to like hunt down a, a beach bathroom, try to clean myself up. At one point I was like oh, swishing my shorts in the toilet, trying to like clean them up to get them back on, to get back out on the race. This isn't great for your time. Um, this is horrible for my time. It's horrible for my morale. I smelled like poop. I was like, do I quit? You know, what do you even do in this situation? It wasn't over. I was like, I had dosed myself with laxative and didn't even know it. So I didn't even know what was going on. So that year I was 19th. <laughs> So you still finish. I mean, and just for yeah. context, guys, I mean, I know most people, I talk about endurance sports a lot, just generally. And we are talking about a full marathon here, right? Yes. You yeah. Know, so, you it's know, 16 26, miles left to go after that. It was wow, like 16 uh, miles of the marathon after you've done, you know, the bike that. and the rest of it. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed you finished it. I mean, is, is, I, there a, is there a part of you that is once I commit, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's going to get done, right? It's like some, done, someone has yeah. to literally, you have to be kicking and screaming mm-hmm. <laughs> off the course. I have realized that I, I realized that at that time in my life, I had no quit in me. I just had Mm. no quit in me. Um, I have quit in me now. And I think that's a good thing. But back then I had no quit in me. You know, I go till I died kind of thing, Um, which I don't have now. And I like that. (laughs) I like that. I mean, just because you brought that up here at this point, why don't you have now 
that and why do you say it's a good thing? Yeah, I, you know, I got in a few, I got in a race one time where I had pneumonia and didn't know it and finished an Ironman, the hardest Ironman in the world called Norseman. It's in Norway. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hideous. Um, and when I finished that, I was really messed up. And that was when I kind of had the first, like, wow, you're really putting your health at risk, your long-term health at risk. And I don't, I don't do the sport now to win races. I do the sport for longevity. Um, and so I kind of have this, like, no, you know, we still need to preserve ourselves. Like we're, we're on earth and we've got this humanly body. And I know that the soul and the mind are like infinitely capable, but part of the responsibility of that is taking care of your human body. And there are some times when it really needs to not be worth it. Uh, and if the race is so important that you're not willing to take care of yourself to get a finish time, then you've got your priorities mixed up. No, so I, I get that totally. Now I've got more, I got a little more quit in me and I, that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. But back balance. then, no quit, <laughs> no quit in me. And All right, I did so- get to, yeah. So I finished that race. Um, and it was great. The last like mile, my daughter ran next to me and that never happens because I'm usually like trying to run down every last girl. And so I have moments from that race that help give me some perspective on how blessed and lucky I am to even have these opportunities. But I was pretty sad that year. It was a big blow. So that was a year that you felt that you were ready to kind of yeah. podium, so to speak. But yeah. what, what happened then? I mean, you must've come back the next year, just absolutely determined yeah. even more so. Yeah. Switch coaches, um, went to found muddy waters, coach muddy waters out of San Jose, California, the best coach yep. to ever exist in the world in triathlon. Um, because he makes you get rid of your power meter. He makes you get rid of your watch half the time. How did you, how did you find him? Um, reputation. I, he just knew that this guy was like the way coming home from Kona the year I pooped my pants, he was yes. sitting four rows ahead of me on the airplane. And oh. I, I recognized him because I'd read an article about him. And I'd read this article about how he just coached a group in San Jose and he got 22 people to Kona in that group one year. So he just created this like family environment. And I just walked up to him uh, at 25,000 feet high (laughs) in the airplane. And I tapped on his shoulder and I just said, hi, coach Muddy Waters. I'm Sonia Wick. um, And I'd like to talk to you. And he stood in the aisle. He introduced me to his wife. He stood in the aisle and he, at the end of that, he gave me his card and I still carry his card in my wallet today. Um, so he's now my, I call him my Papa bear. He's Did he know you? Buddy. Oh, wow. Did he, he know, know you at that point? I bet. Okay. No, nope. but he took me on. He made me, it, he put me through the paces before he took me on and eventually took me on. And that changed my trajectory completely because it stopped being about winning. Like we love to win, but it only became about trying to win. And it okay. all became about family and having fun together. He put me in a community even though I didn't live in San Jose, I'd come out and train with him a lot. And, you know, he called me his daughter and he just put me in this super loving environment that was all about getting the best out of yourself because that's good for you and loving the sport and staying in it for your life. Um, so yeah, that was the winning formula for me. And I went back to my fourth Kona with, with muddy at my side and I got, I was the fastest girl to never, to not get on the podium in the history of Kona. I went nine fifty six, and I was sixth place in my age group. And I would have been on the podium in any other age group, but mine was really competitive. So I was sixth, and that was the. I had a great race. I had a great day. I, so, I went so fast, and it was such a great lesson because I knew there was still something to unlock. And so 
it was like, that was the year I got the most fire under my belly because I knew, oh, I've got the physical mastered, but something's still missing. And so the difference between that and my fifth year was I really doubled down on just mental training, like sports psychology. I, I probably wasn't even quite as fit as I was in my fifth, like in my fifth year to my fourth year, I was probably even a little bit less fit, but I had done so many things with mindset and visualization, um, and pre like what I do before the race and how I overcome adversity during the race. I just attacked it from that angle and then still stayed in another year in this really positive, beautiful training environment. And then that 2014, I got second and I got on the podium. So let, let's, a- let's just pause for a second. I want to play with some of this. So, so this, um, obviously the, the, the more holistic approach through, through is it muddy waters. Yep. This is coach okay. muddy, coach mm-hmm. muddy. Um, and the mindset piece though, and, and did he introduce that into your program? Was, was he no. the one who suggested? So where did that, where did you start to think that that's going to be important for me? No, like the thing with muddy, I remember probably a month into meeting muddy, we were sitting in his truck and he looked at me and he goes, kid, do you want, he, muddy's like, he's like in his sixties crass. Like he's a guy's guy. Um, he's, he's like writes his schedules on a piece of paper. Like we're talking about not a guy who's like, you should hire a sports psychologist. No, he's like, get rid of your watch. But he sat there and he's like, kid, do you want to know your problem? And I was like, I remember taking a moment and being like, do I want to know my problem? Like, do I really want to know my problem? But you know, here I am like, okay, this great coach. So I was like, yeah, what, what's my problem? He's like, you don't believe in yourself. You just don't believe in yourself. It's like, you have everything you need. You just don't believe in yourself. And I remember my first thought was, yeah, I do. Like, yeah, I do. But then I was like, man, maybe I don't. Um, But my first thought was even like, I do. I believe in myself. Like I couldn't have the success I've had so far. At this point, I've been to Kona three times, right? Like I'm feeling pretty successful. Um, But he really did like help me unpack that. And it was sort of out of that, that I had the freedom to go explore hiring a sports psychologist and get a little bit of work with that, but it wasn't muddy. Never was like, go oh, hire a sports psychologist. I told him like, I think I'm going to work with this guy that can help my mindset. And he's like, good on you kid. Like he, you know, he's right, just okay. so-, so he, but there's still the impetus, I suppose, by the comments that made you explore that. And, and, and cause I want to play with the, the, I mean, going, getting seconds after that. Yeah. Why, by not, as you said, you know, not being as maybe physically fit. Yeah. What, what was it? What were the components of the, the work you did on your mindset? Oh. Yeah, and just take, cause again, people listening to this, right. You know, they're they're listening to this because they're looking at people who are who are doing extraordinary things, yep. right? And so for yep. me, it's about how 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 do you work? How do you think, Sonia? Totally. The the people can just either connect with or not, but they can just understand it a bit. So this piece is totally. quite important to me. Yeah. So there were a couple of things I think that made a big difference. One, you know, everyone talks about visualization. Yeah. Visualization so great. Okay. Well, here's like, but what does that really look like? Here's what he had me do. So about three months before Kona, we sat in his office and we talked through the ideal Kona race. Like how would it go down ideally for you? Realistically for you? He's like, go write that. And so I did, I went and wrote like my ideal race day. Right. I get out of the swim. It says one Oh four, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I got it. So you're writing that, it like, like a, like a little diary. He said, write your race report before your race. So I did that. Then we came back in and he's like, okay, I want you to think of three problems that might happen in your race. And we're going to write those into your report. 
So one of them that I'd had before in the past was the swim at Kona is slow and I'm a developing swimmer. And so if I get out and the number is over 110, I'm like immediately disheartened. So that was one of them. I was like, okay, I could get out and the clock could say 111. And I would be like super sad. And he's like, okay, let's write that in. And then let's write how you're going to get over that. And we're going to write that into your visualization. Like, so the visualization wasn't this like perfect plan. It actually had some known problems in the plan and they were written out, but also like how I'm going to overcome them was written out. So once we got that all in there, then he had me voice record it. Like I read it to myself, wow, you know, okay. on my little voice, yeah, yeah, a voice memo. And three times a week, I'd listen to it. So I just listened to myself talking through this race plan that also included a few baubles here and there, but had the great result, you know, and we, I did that for two months, like three times a week that, um, and the, the crazy thing about that story was when I got out of the swim in Kona that year, I looked up at the clock and it said one eleven. And instead of being disheartened, I looked at it and I said, holy crap, it's working. Like my plan is working. So instead of it being this negative thing, I was like, oh my gosh, my visualization, like it's all coming true. And at the end of my visualization is a really great result. And so it like, even the negatives got turned into these immediate positives because I had practiced them and I had practiced overcoming them, but just the act of like the bad things coming true had me like, oh my gosh, it's working. It's working. I'm going to do great. So that was one thing I thought was That is super cool. Anyone can do that, right? It just takes a little time, right? Your best scenario, add in a few baubles, record it for yourself, listen to it over and over. It's a fun exercise. Did you ever do it like subliminally? Did you ever like sort of, you know, go to bed and play it like, like, you know, some people do that with affirmations. They have them like just going over in their heads, like multiple times. I never, I just like had my three times a week, usually right after my meditation. Yeah. Um, He got me meditating meditating beforehand. Or is this, did you introduce that? He introduced that. Yeah. Okay, great. And just, um, you know, people have their, their different modalities, but it was mindfulness coming back to the breath. Yeah. And the sole reason for that was just our brain is a muscle and it, and it, you have to understand when you're thinking and then bring it back to bring your awareness back to what you want it to be on. And when you're racing a 10 hour race, very often your mind wanders. Um, and so he needed to make sure that I could catch my wandering mind and bring it back to my performance. Like immediately I had to get really good at that. Wow. Uh, so it was, was he, was so he a much. sports psychologist um, mm-hmm. and worked with athletes specifically? Yeah. Yep. Olympians yeah. tons of, yeah, he was great. Steve. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really helpful. And I found that was something that stuck in my overall life was just working the muscle of recognizing that we're thinking and being able to reorient our brain onto what we want to orient it on is like a learned practice. It is, yeah. It's not natural, right? Nat- the natural thing is just let our brain wander. So that was really helpful, both as an athlete and as a mom and as a human being. Um, so that was really helpful. You still do, and, do you still meditate now? You, I meditate. I mean- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a major foundation of my mental health. Yeah. I do transcendental meditation, which, which, you know, to the mantra and all that sort of stuff, which is quite interesting, but, um, partly for that reason, it does feel like you are training yourself to be present and to, Mm -hmm. and to understand, you know, how to focus all those sort of things. Yep. Yeah. I think it, um, you know, it's such a buzz right now, right? I mean, it seems to be the cure all for everything. Yeah. I think it's it's because 
we're watching people's minds run wild. And when they well, run we wild. We just don't stop anymore. Like, so, you know, there's, there's this whole thing that um, obviously technology does um, foster that to some degree. But, yeah. you know, this idea that we can't turn off easily without a degree of discipline, right? Because we're connected yep. to everything. And yep. that then does create stress because we're not wired for that. When I, when I used to run a lot, like, you know, I was doing a marathon every Sunday just as training runs and things. Um, it was a meditative meditative thing for me, mm-hmm. um, even though I wasn't practicing meditation. It was more about yep. just for me to get out there and kind of, you know, clear my head. Yeah, let things go. Yeah, and it was great. Like, I'd always come back refreshed. And quite often, because I don't run with music or anything, uh, if I had a problem or whatever it was, <laughs> I would go for a run. And the problem would more or less be solved on the way back. It's so true. Cool, isn't it? So much fun. (laughs) It's so much fun. The ideas, um, yeah, the place your creative mind can go to when your heart rate's been elevated for a period of time is pretty awesome. I always get such great ideas when I'm out. And I think it's the oxygen. It must be at the oxygen as well. (laughs) Yeah. But um, to jump jump to your performance that year. So you finished second. This is your first podium. Yep. Give, give us the give us the, the the sort of the race rundown briefly on this because yeah, I swam like, a you obviously wanted to win <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you came second. Um, I swam a one eleven. I didn't yeah. put my pants. I got off the bike in fifth, awesome. just like I had two years prior. Oh, cool. um, and I just ran. I ran myself into what I thought was third, but then after the race, Muddy was the one to tell me, "No, you were second. And so that was just an even other bonus. I, I mean, it was a tough race. Oh, oh, this is, this is the best part of it. Um, it was the hardest year we had had in Kona in five years, in my, all my five years, usually you, you wait to see when the winds start on the bike ride. And usually it's like 40 miles in, maybe you get to 60 miles before the winds start. And we got like 12 miles into the race and it was just ripping. Um, and I was in just this really good place. Like I'd been meditating. I had my visualization, my training gone really well. I was in a, in a loving environment. And I just remember being on the bike at one point about 40 miles into the race and looking around at my other competitors. And everyone was like gripping their arrow bars, hunkered over their bike with these grimaces and sweat. And it was just suffering all around me. And I remember going, oh my gosh, thank you, Madam Pele. That's the, the Hawaii God, the yeah. fire, fire God. Thank you, Madam Pele. This is what I need to win because I'm tougher than everyone else. And I always knew that about myself. I needed it to be so hard on everyone else that would give me a chance to rise to the top. I always say there are gazelles and there are bulldogs and I'm a bulldog. I need, love that. I need adversity. <laughs> I, I need everyone else to just be suffering. And that's when I thrive. And so I had this moment in the race of like, Oh, I am being given the exact conditions that are necessary for me to win this thing. And that from that point on, I just, I mean, I had a great bike and I got off and I ran super well for myself, my fastest marathon in Kona. Um, what sort of time it, are you doing a marathon at the end of, end of the end of a Bike I'm ride like, like that. The queen of the 327 to 330. Yeah, like nice. Queen of the 750 to eight minute that's mile. Some, I mean, that's, that's like my marathon pace without doing a swim and a, and a run. <laughs> Sorry, it was a swim and a bike. So that's it's, damn impressive. I, yeah, I, I've kind of had my rhythm, you know, that yeah, I would yeah. be able to get into. And that pace always did you felt change, um, strong for me. Did you change your nutrition or anything like that <laughs> yeah, through this period after, of time? 
pooping my pants. Absolutely. Well, you definitely didn't have the sober tool anymore. <laughs> I get that. And no um, more sober tool. But, I figured uh, that out. Uh, no, yeah. After that race where um, everything went awry, I ended up contacting Stacy Sims, who is kind of the world's expert in, um, she did her PhD thesis on the differences between men and women in endurance races in heated environments. Okay, so she's cool. really the world's expert on women's nutrition in Kona. And wow, so you got really specialized things. here, didn't you? I mean, we're talking, that's yeah. not just, you know, I'm going to go and do vegan eating or whatever. No, um, no, no. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be very specific for this race. Yes. I wanted Stacy to tell me what I need to eat in Kona so that I didn't like poop my pants. <laughs> and what, what so about, she overhauled it. So you, but did you change your diet the whole way through, yeah. like everything, even, even leading up to it, the whole, did you eat differently in that year that you were, I suppose, yeah. seconds? Yeah. So when you're training, so I train 30 to 35 hours a week mm-hmm. of training hours. And when you're training that much, your nutrition is training. Like I'm training seven hours a day, a lot of the time. Wow. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's not a vegan diet. It's not a paleo. It's not any of that. It's like, I'm thinking when I wake up, what do I need to have to make sure my swim is, is good? What's on deck for my swim? What's my recovery meal after my swim? What's my pre-ride meal? What am I eating while I'm riding? What's my recovery drink after I ride? What am I having for dinner? Usually vegetables, because I didn't have any of them today. Um, do I have another run I have to get in today? What does my feeling look like for that? How do I recover from that? So when you're training that much, there's no you know, all of your food is really with the intent of what are the sessions I'm going to be doing? Got it. What do I need to put in my body to fuel those sessions or recover from those sessions or fuel the next day or recover from the stuff you just did? So it's a full protocol based on that. And and did you, Mm -hmm. um, I suppose, you know, you did, did you look at things like calories and macros and that, or it was, it was more just about getting the nutrition in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say macros in the sense of like, I always try to make sure I get in 15 to 20 grams of protein within 20 minutes of finishing a workout that is either long or hard, but there's lots of ways that I know how to naturally do that. Whether it's like a Siggy's yogurt or it's some tuna or chicken. Got it. So it wasn't a standardized diet. I've seen, I see some athletes, they they, they tend to just, yeah, I can't either, you know, where Mm -hmm. you have the same meal every day, pretty much. No, no. Definitely not. Mm-mm. I'm the qu- and I love to make things for the bike. Like I would make these rice cakes or salty balls, or I was the queen of like a little home chef. And I trained with a ton of men, so I was always handing out you know treats and little things here and there because I felt like I was the mama bear of of the crew, and that was my role, and that felt really good in love that it. role. But love no, it. I'm I'm not a creature of habit. I don't like habit. I don't like routines. I'm not a big fan of that. So things always have to be fresh and fruity and fun for me. And there has to be nuance or else I get bored and tired. So that was kind of how I had to roll in my training. So fast forward now, we're, we're kind of getting to, you know, you've come second. Yeah. Now, now what happens? You know, let's, let's continue the story. So I get second, I go to the award ceremony. I stand on the podium. I feel like I've won like the girl who won Amy Farrell, amazing athlete qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon. I'm not going to run faster than Amy Farrell. Um, second, just felt like a win. I've been trying for five years. I felt very satisfied. Like Mm -hmm. this, I don't need to still be trying to win. Like this is amazing. And I get home, we're staying our Airbnbs in a tree house that year. I wake up the next day and my, my bowl, my wooden umiki bowl that they give you for getting on the podium is sitting on my nightstand. And I just remember looking over and being like, oh my gosh, 
I spent five years chasing an empty bowl. That is an empty wooden a metaphor bowl too. for how I feel. Oh. I my dad does not love me any more today than he did yesterday. My coaches don't approve of me any more today than they did yesterday. I don't feel any more full inside. In fact, I kind of feel pretty empty and I don't really know what to do with myself because I feel satisfied in terms of like, I don't need to get first in Kona. So it was just such a moment of, oh my gosh, what am I, what did I just do? What am I doing? What am I doing? Um, I felt super empty. Wow. Is it a little bit like, you know, when you prepare for a big, like a wedding or something, right? And then uh, the day after the wedding, it just feels like, oh, a letdown. You know, I'd had like Ironman blues before of just the, there is a chemical Mm -hmm. reaction, but this one was more soul level. Really? This one was more like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? Was was it just that now that you'd achieved this thing, it wasn't mm -hmm. what you expected? Is that what, Mm -hmm. did you expect to feel something different, but you didn't feel that thing? Yeah. I expected to feel like I didn't need the approval of others anymore. Wow. God, that's, that's really deep. Yeah. But but the the fact that you were also conscious of that in such a direct way, like, you know, it took me a while to work out while I was doing so much running. Like I just ran, right. I didn't quite realize Mm -hmm. why until I really reflected on that question. And then when, when I, when I learned why it's like, Oh God, really? Yeah. But, but but you, did you, even the, the deep work that you were doing, preparing and everything else, you, you thought that getting on the podium was going to give you a different, that's, wow, that's, that's incredible. I did. Yeah. And the sports psychology was not really, didn't go there. It was really yeah. performance-based, you know, it was about how do we get somebody to perform? So that was, you know, it did, it, it helped me perform for sure. But it was like, this was a way deeper question and awareness and something I, I always say to people, I, if I could give you one gift, the gift I would give you is that you get everything you ever wanted. And then you wake up the next day because the next day after you get everything you ever wanted is when you find out if that's really what you wanted. Yeah. And for me, it was, it was a no, it was, there's something still that I have not figured out. That's really important to me and who I am as a person. And I've got to figure it out. And time check now, are we what? 2016, mm-hmm. 2017? Yeah. We're 2014. 2014. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what next? What happened? Like then it just got super messy. <laughs> but you, 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 did, I was you on did you a think different that you weren't going to do it again? Did you think like, oh, that's it. I'm now done. I'm not. Muddy I, told I was, me I was done. Muddy, Muddy was told like, you. Mm-hmm. he said, you won't go back to Kona next year. And that was like, oof, because that's what I've been doing for five years straight. Um, but he knew he could, couldn't get me a podium the next year. You know, we couldn't just keep running on this. Like I either figured out what I need to figure out or I didn't. And yeah, so that kind of set my life on a different trajectory. I opened a coaching company. I built it to seven assistant coaches and 150 athletes because that was my next podium. Okay. (laughs) When searching for some, I thought, well, if, if winning races makes me feel empty, let's go teach other people how to win races. Um, (laughs) I laugh at that, but it is true. Yeah, I kind that, of like contribution had a, thing. I mean, that yeah, must have. I thought. I thought. Did, did that make you I feel great though? No, I love running around and and helping people achieve their goals. Yeah. But more often than not, what it did was it gave me 150 guinea pigs to further reinforce the fact that if we're not doing things for the right reason, there's then 
all the winning we do in the world doesn't satisfy that thing inside of us. That's really wanting to be satisfied. So it did give me a different perspective as I coached a lot of different athletes who had different motivations, different abilities. Um, some of my, you know, slower athletes totally knew why they were out there and totally knew what this was about, what it wasn't about and had their head really right in that regard in terms of their soul. And so they had very different experiences than some of my athletes who were really chasing something else that isn't attainable through beating other people. Like you don't find out who you are deep inside your soul by beating other people. It's there's some, no, there's no, I, I, I get that. I think it's, but, but for me, when I was um, very much into it, it was about finding who I could become. Yeah. So it wasn't, it, it became less about approval and less about what other people thought. It was about what level can I take things to? So I was surprising myself all the way through anyway. Yeah. So it was yep. a different sort of thing, but, but that was, that was the satisfaction that came from it. Um, and there yeah, was a point this, in time where it's like, yeah, just so there's a point in time where um, I didn't feel I needed to do that anymore mm -hmm. on, on that level, right? And, yep. then, and then transitioned that similar to what you're doing to other things. Yep. There's like this internal versus external motivation. Yeah. And I think that was what yes, I just exactly really that. started seeing and playing with inside of myself and with others is like, where do we get our source from? And if it's constantly external, then that's, never, that's sort of this nebulous thing that's always going to be putting pressure on you. You're never really going to live up to like just external stuff. So where is that internal motivation and what, where do we go when we're listening to what our desires are and what lights up our heart or what gets us really excited from the inside and how much can that carry us forward in life? And so I think that's really what the lesson was from mm, that point right. on is that interplay between the external and the internal when it comes to direction, vision, motivation. Um, that's the lesson I've been learning since my empty bowl moment. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, I always listen when I'm talking to people in these, these, these conversations, I always like listen for the, the mic drop moment. <laughs> right? And I mean, the, the thing that I kind of, I hear as you're speaking, um, Sonia is, you know, a, a very high level of self-awareness, mm. you know, you've, you've Thank thought, you. you've really thought this stuff. It's really kind of, you know, it's, it's very congruent, you know, with, with you as you're yes. talking through it. Yeah. And so what, yeah. what, what did that, to, I mean, to, to finish off the Kona story really. So, cause you went back again, right. I went back in 2016 when I was working 80 hour weeks, building a business. I had yeah. qualified in 2015. I did, I did the, the race with the pneumonia. I won my age group at two different Ironmans. And so I qualified for 2016, but I was just going on like the ends of my, um, I guess I would say endurance. I was training, you know, 10 to 11 hours a week and just kind of like using everything I had left. So by the time 2016 rolls rolled around, my fitness was gone. I had done, you know, one 80 mile ride before Kona. And I thought, I'll just go have fun. I had qualified. It'll be my swan song. I'll get, you know, I'd had that glimpse of that year when I pooped my pants of running with my daughter and kind of having a glimpse that this can be fun if you just let the pressure off. But the problem is you have to be really fit to let the pressure off and still finish Kona. Kona is a really painful race. And if you're not, you don't want to be unfit. It, you can't have fun. And I learned no, that. You don't the want to be unfit. Like, I've, you know, I've, I've gone into marathons before where I haven't horrible. really trained and I've got through yeah. the marathon, but it hasn't been fun. It's not fun. That's what I say. I was like, oh, maybe I could just have fun with it. No, you actually have to be fit to then 
slack yeah. off and have fun. Um, so I learned that. And that was my hardest Kona by far. I, I mean, just obliterated myself. I just was wrecked for a long period of time. And, um, and my business, I eventually grew, 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 and then really couldn't handle the external pressure of it. Um, in 2017, I had a large scale mental health event, mm-hmm. panic attacks turned into an ER visit and the closing of my business. Um, and that was really my rock bottom that kind of started with my empty bowl moment, but kind of culminated with this essentially like nervous breakdown several, three years later. And that was the moment when I really started doing like the deep work and getting into therapy because I was, I was in a crisis state, was having suicidal ideation. I was just so far beyond, I wasn't training anymore. My, I had, I had to let my, you know, shut down my business because I didn't have the mental health to keep going. And, and so it kind of stripped everything away and I got to start really unpacking all of my Ironman years, everything that had transpired since then, and kind of rebuilding myself up and really looking at that internal versus external motivation. And I remember my therapist asking me at one point, what do you do in your life? That's just for you. Like you don't do it to please anybody else or to get anyone else's approval. What do you do for just you? And I sat and I thought, 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 thought about like, you know, taking my daughter to school. No, you know, like the running, I don't know. And I realized the only thing I had was I like to drive fast and I like to sing loud in the car. Those were the two things that I just did because they felt good for me. Are you me. doing any um, athletic stuff at this stage or had that all just dropped away? So after my breakdown, my therapist said that um, I really had to keep my exercise to 30 to 60 minutes moderate a day because you can use exercise to mask and numb yeah, this, okay. the, what I was I going through. So he's like, that. you definitely need to exercise, <laughs> but 30 to 60 minutes a day is health keeps everybody healthy. Anything more than that, let's put the kibosh on. So yeah, I would go out do my 30 to 60 minute run or bike ride. And that was it. That was all I would do. Um, I had a lot of other stuff to be processing through. So yeah, not, not a lot. Um, but that was a moment for me like, oh, wow, I don't, everything I, I'm doing on the daily is kind of attached to who might this satisfy? Who might this please? Who's going to see this? And I just strip all that away. I start brand new. And I did. It was great. It's great now. It wasn't great then, but it's great so now. Let, so let's, <laughs> let's jump into, into Sonia today then. Yeah. Right? So, 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 you know, and, and obviously the amazing journey, like the whole, yeah. the whole thing is, is great. Even the pooing incident is fantastic. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but what do you know about yourself now after mm-hmm. going through that journey? Right. Yeah. And, 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 and just, just kind of give us an insight of what that is and who that is. Okay. Here's what I know now. It's pretty cool. What I know now is that I really only take action if something lights me up inside. Bottom line. Mm, cool. That's it. I literally use those inner light bulb moments as the stepping stones of my life. The reason I'm on with you today is only because I know with 100% certainty that when we get off, I will be lit up. That's it. That's the only reason we're talking today. So I only say yes to things that light me up inside. And, and I say no to everything else. Sometimes I say yes. And I get like worried a little bit later or external expectations start to come in. And I kind of have to process that. But if I keep checking back in with myself, like, no, is this really something that lights you up inside? You really do want to do this. And maybe the path to doing it is a little challenging and, and, and muddy, dirty, whatever. But if it lights me up inside, then I say yes. And I go for it. Um, and if it doesn't, that's so cool. 
And I, th- and I think that there's, there's a certain level of um, being brave around mm. just even saying that, right? Because like a lot of people will say yes. yes. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a thing, there's a thing that people kind of say sometimes, which is like, you know, just say yes to everything or say yes and, and figure it out later and all this sort of thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that like if you don't have um, the energy, the fire to do something, right, you just A, don't do a great job of it and it can really just screw you up, right? Yep. So, so, so how do you, how does this work in practicality though? So, because there are some things you have to do that you want, don't want to do. Is it just that? Like what? Do the washing. Uh, oh my gosh. I have this washing machine right now that plays like a little ding, 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 a song. I'm mucking around. I mean, you know, there's. there's I'm not actually like. Really? You'd be more surprised when you, when that starts to be your focus. Um, if I really, if doing the laundry didn't like light me up in some way, shape or form, you would ask somebody in my life to do the little laundry for me, or I'd hire somebody to leverage it it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so with the, with the things that, that you've done more recently, you know, and we haven't really even got into world's toughest race stuff and, and some of these other pretty spectacular endurance feats and events. How are you making decisions now? Because because it's an extension from what you did previously, but you're going into yeah. some different areas. Obviously, it's about what yep. lights you up. I get that. But how, it's about what lights me how up. You even... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all like I'm just letting things come to me. So World Stuff is Race was just, it was a thing on Facebook and it was an ad. It was a one minute ad that was like Eco Challenge is back. And I'd watched Eco Challenge when I was young. And so it was one of those like, oh my gosh, I have to do that. And that was it. All I needed was that. Now there's lots of problems. Like once you have that light bulb moment, there's plenty of problems that are going to come up in the in-between. Well, who's your team and how do you afford it? And okay, use your brain for that. That's what I like. My brain is great at solving problems. My, my light, my internal compass, that's direction. So I have to use that for direction. It doesn't mean things aren't hard, challenging, whatever. So that's what I use my brain for problem solving. Um, so yeah, things have come my way. They've lit me up. I've decided, oh my gosh, that's a definite yes. Then we go on the task of doing those things. All sorts of problems happen along the way, but then I use my brain. And if at any point my brain is telling me, why did you do this? Why did you sign up for this? What is she going to think of you? I just go back in and I say, okay, it, where's the light? Is the light still on? Are we still good here? And as long as it's a yes, then like I get back into my brain and keep problem solving and training and writing training plans and learning new skills. Um, so that has led me thus far to talking to you, doing the world's toughest race. I did a expedition race in Oregon um, recently in May. It's it's led me all. I mean, it's just I'm literally like fishtailing my way through life and right now. I love now. it, and I love the fact that like when I was pushing you on it very subtly, you're like, no, I just I like this is what I do, right? I yeah, <laughs> listen, I look for that light. Yeah. How did how did you again for people listening? How did you learn to trust that? <sighs> Oh my gosh. Um, I'm still learning to trust it. I still, it's not clean. It's dirty. It's messy. Um, it's probably my life's work, honestly, Mm, learning to trust it is it's not, it's less like eating an ice cream cone and more like doing yoga. Like it's a daily practice sometimes to, because I'm still constantly filtering. I was massively externally motivated. You have to understand. And so it's a complete shift into being massively internally motivated. 
And so that external is always hitting me and I'm having to do that daily check-in and recognize, but I do know in my body when I'm being motivated by external forces, I don't feel good. So I Mm. I'm checking in a lot. Do I feel good? Do I not feel good? Where is this coming from? Um, and I, and that's gonna, that's gonna be forever. That's never going to stop, but it's, things are much better now. (laughs) In The reason for the question also is I I had an epiphany experience, if you like, where I, because there's there's an interesting sort of piece of science. I'm conscious of our time, by the way. I said we'd speak for about half an hour. It's been like an hour. Um, (laughs) It's been great. We're having fun. Um, Where like your brain waves and your heart waves align, right? So that's why breathing and things like that is interesting. Now I haven't studied it deeply. I've just read about it. And I'm having an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had it through a Tony Robbins experience, but the okay. the point that was was interesting for me was there was a bit where we were doing a meditation, and and it was about being more centered, being more heart centered, right? Yep. And I had this um, this saying or these words came into my head, which was trust yourself, mm-hmm. and it was the most weird thing because I was I you know because my background was private equity and all these things, so a lot <laughs> of it was like very head centric and very much yeah. alpha, right? Mm-hmm. And anything here like. You know, in your heart, I was like, oh, what's weird that? But as soon as I started to understand that and more, more appreciate it, two things happened. Firstly, I was scared shitless about it, to be frank. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I started to kind of understand it a bit, not by any stretch, like know it, but just understand it because the feeling was yep. quite interesting. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. Really get what yeah. you're saying. Yep. Direction. How do we learn to point our compass? Um, yeah. We're so trained on like smart goals and to-do lists and pros and cons. And the brain is so amazing. It's such an amazing computer and it's a really great problem solver. But when it comes to vision and direction, um, it's not a problem. Like the vision and direction in your life is not a problem to be solved. It's something to intuit. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and, And that's, that's something that I think even on my journey, I'm still trying to connect more with as well. Me too. We're fellow warriors. There we go. Isn't it? So there are some similarities to the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even a, a marathon in Paris I did once where, you know, I probably shouldn't have ate what I ate. So we'll, we'll save oh, that for another conversation. Okay, got but, it. Um, to, to finish you. off, because I mean, you know, again, I'm very grateful that you've come on the show and I'm very appreciative of your time. Oh, it's been such, we've had such a fantastic conversation. Yeah, well, it's, it's really, really cool. I mean, you know, and also, as I said, the show, the show is changing, right? It's about, about you know, people doing amazing things and inspiring yep. stories. And you've shared a lot of that today. I'd like to just sort of finish with, you know, you've got a quote here that, that I was reading before you came on today, which is, you know, you may, you may encounter many defeats, um, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, uh, what you can rise from and how you can still come out of it. And that's from Maya Angelou. And that's your favorite quote, I believe. Yeah. What does it mean to you? It just always reminds me that these struggles are so important to help me continue to embrace the path I'm on, that it's so easy to want to live a struggle-free life or to be minimizing the pain and the struggle. But that quote always says to me, like, I love the idea of constantly flipping things. Like the struggle is the gift. Like the struggle informs, you know, they say failure is feedback, 
Um, and that's what that always reminds me of, because I do feel like I just, am like a bowling ball with the little bumpers. I'm like bouncing from struggle to struggle. But if we can keep flipping it, if I can keep flipping it into these growth opportunities, awareness about myself, understanding what doesn't light me up, that I can then move closer to what does like that feels like the only purpose I need in life is to just flip and embrace those struggles. I love it. Sonia, thank you. Thank you you for coming on the show. Um, Where can people, where can people reach you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, I'm around, like my website is gosonia.com and I'm on Instagram at gosonia. And I will say even being on a TV show, every single person that reached out to me on Instagram, I have always been able to reach back out to and respond to. So I'm very approachable and I love to talk about this stuff. So if you have some, an opportunity that you think I need to know about, or you want to have a conversation and you think it will light me up, then reach out and we'll do it. Love it. And, um, and I haven't seen the, um, the show yet. Oh. I'm, I'm going to go watch the show, right? You are. Because <laughs> it's going to be right up my alley. And so what, there's mm-hmm. two things. I didn't want to watch it until I've met yeah. you, right? Because yeah. I like to kind oh, of, now, now I've met you for like, you know, an hour. I can now watch it. But that that sort of thing, you know, world toughest race, you know, yeah. really tough things. I love all yep. this stuff. So. Yep. You're going to love it. And I think your viewers will too. So yeah. Right. Well, enjoy. thank you very much, Sonia. As I said, it's been great having you on the show today. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.